The Yesterday and Today podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun compilation of chronological source materials as they pertain to the Beatles. The show is in no way affiliated with Apple Corps, nor any organization connected to John, Paul, George, or Ringo in any way, though we do consider ourselves premier members of the Bungalow Bill fan club. So kick back, turn off your mind, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Yesterday and Today, 1969, Episode 33, April through May. 1969, you did Rape, which was a TV documentary in Vienna. How well, it was filmed in London for, for Vienna, Austrian TV. Right, yeah. for Austrian TV. How did that come about? Well, it was just a filmic idea about um, just following a girl and uh, keep following, just filming her. And what would happen to somebody who's totally exposed all the time, you know? What we did was, we went to the famous uh, hotel in Vienna to put it on the TV there. It caused a riot. It was the biggest reaction the Austrian TV had ever had. I mean, there was complaints. There's no sex in it. It was just a constant, you think something's going to happen all the time. But nothing ever really happens. Just the pressure on the girl as she's cracking up under the strain of these strange people following around. But the Austrians never saw us. Mm -hmm. What's that hotel? The chocolate cake hotel. Yeah. It used to be the Habsburgs Castle or whatever. And we're in there, but we, they never saw us, the Austrian press. We did everything in a bag. So we came down to the press conference in a bag, in the elevator. <laughs> and the front page of the Austrian papers was all these people holding mics to a bag, you know. And all they said was, but John, is that really you? I said, yeah, it's me. But how do we know? Mm-hmm. I said, because I'm telling you. They said, oh, will you sing a song? You know, I sang Maggie May and she sang uh, some, some Japanese, Japanese song. folk song or something to them in a bag. And a guy said, I've, but I've waited years to see. Why did you have to pick Austria to go in a bag? I said, because we wanted to, you know? You're smiling and giggling about it we now. We love it. Do you think you'd have smiled and giggled about it then? We were. You? Are you kidding me? You wanted yeah. to see what we were doing in the bag? We were yeah. cracking up in there. <laughs> Like that. Sounds like Yes, now all I want is you. Thank you. 
Interview George Harrison, London, March 1969. All I'm doing, I'm acting out the part of Beatle George, and, you know, we're all acting out our own parts. And, um, you know, the world is a stage and the people are the players. Shakespeare said that. <laughs> and he's right, you know. Just you expect another part later? Oh, many parts. <laughs> yes. Whichever. Is that why you've come to terms with it? Yes, because... Um, you just do whatever you can do. I mean, even if it's been a beetle for the rest of my life, it's still only a temporary thing. And, uh, I mean, really all we did was get born and live so many years. And, and, and this is what happened. We, you know, I got born seemingly to become Beetle George. April 5th, Dick James does not convince the Beatles to sell their shares of their music publishing company, Northern Songs, to ATV. John and Paul reject 900,000 pounds for them. 
On April 11th, Apple releases the Beatles' 19th single. Get Back and the B-Side, Don't Let Me Down. This was the first single since Hey Jude backed with Revolution nearly eight months earlier. Both titles were taken from the live rooftop sessions of January. The A-Side came together quickly. Paul says, We were sitting around the studio and we made it up out of thin air. We started to write the words there, and then when we finished it, we recorded it. Get back single. Neither A nor B side carried a producer's credit. No surprise considering the confused roles of George Martin and Glenn Johns. But the disc label for both sides did bear one new name. The Beatles with Billy Preston, released in Britain on April 11th and America May 5th. Get Back was the first Beatles single to credit outside help. 
Billy Preston received label mention as guest artist for his electronic keyboard contributions. On Get Back, there's a, a title and a credit line at the end uh, with Billy Preston. Oh, yes. Why did you bring an outside person in for a Beatles song? Well, I mean, we've often used other musicians on millions of records. You know, I can't understand it. And we just named uh, Billy because Billy was playing a, a pretty funky piano solo. That's all. He used to play with uh, Ray Charles' band, you know, and he came over and he's, he signed up for Apple and George's producing an LP with him, and he's a groovy cat, and he just comes in and sits on the session and, and lays it on you, you know, and so we thought we'd give him a credit. So you're just giving credit where credit's due, right? It says with Billy Preston. It doesn't say Billy Preston instead of the Beatles. I mean, I don't understand how these myths get going. Fine for you. Thanks for clearing it up. I think it's the art of musicianship is playing along and accompaniment, you know, is, um, you know, playing along with whatever um, everybody else is playing, you know, to blend in. And uh, I think that's been my, uh, you know, my key, you know, to get in, you know, blend in with everybody. The B-side is another personal song from John to Yoko.
On Monday, April 14th, at Studio 3 EMI Studios London, an important Beatles session was held with just only John and Paul's participation. Half the Beatles. Ringo was elsewhere filming The Magic Christian. George, so it was said, was out of the country. Both, anyway, were kept unaware of this session until after it had taken place. George and myself were on holiday. The song being recorded was John's The Ballad of John and Yoko, The Going to Crucify Me. The subtitle in parentheses was dropped before release, a chronicle of the newly married Lennon's recent weeks. The producer was George Martin, back in the control room, but also the balance engineer was Jeff Emmerich. Peter Brown called to say, you can make it okay, you can get married in Gibraltar near Spain, Christ, you know it ain't easy, you know how hard it can be, the way things are going, they're gonna crucify me. Drove from Paris to the Amsterdam Hilton Talking in our beds for a week The newspaper said, say what you're doing in bed I said, we're only trying to get us some peace Christ, you know it ain't easy You know how hard it can be The way things are going They're gonna crucify me Saving up your money for a rainy day Giving all your clothes to charity Last night the wife said Oh boy, when you're dead You don't take nothing with you but your soul Sing! Made a lightning trip to Vienna Eating chocolate cake in a bag Newspaper said She's gone to his head they look just like two gurus in drag Christ, you know it ain't easy You know how hard it can be The way things are going They're gonna crucify me Coffee early, plane back to London 58 comes tied in a sack The men from the press said We wish you success it's good to have the both of your back Christ, you know it ain't easy You know how hard it can be The way things are going They're gonna crucify me The way things are going They're gonna crucify me Picking up the story of John's I Want You, She's So Heavy, the next step in recording it for the Abbey Road LP happened the 18th of April, 1969. Back in good old Studio 2 at Abbey Road, staff producer Chris Thomas and sound engineer Jeff Jarrett queued up that new composite basic track edited together by Glenn Johns back in February. Then, Lennon and Harrison got busy recording some raging guitars. Describing the session for Beatles Recording Sessions author Mark Lewison, Jarrett said, John and George went into the far left-hand corner of number two to overdub those guitars. They wanted a massive sound, so they kept tracking and tracking over and over. A couple days later, Glyn Johns mixed all that down, then the Hammond organ and maracas were overdubbed. But after that, Lennon didn't return to I Want You until August, three months later. On April 21st, John and Yoko founded Bag Productions. It was dissolved later in 1979. 
On Tuesday, April 22nd, John Lennon, in a show of togetherness with Yoko, John's middle name was changed from Winston to Ono in a formal ceremony held on the roof of Apple's Savile Row headquarters. Although, under British law, Winston had also to be retained as part of his name. Later that day, at EMI Studios, London, Studio 2, recording of John and Yoko's Heartbeats. John shouting out Yoko, and Yoko shouting out John, for issue as an entire side of their third experimental LP. Yoko? John? Yoko? John? Yoko? John? Yoko? John? Yoko? John? Yoko? John! Yoko! John! Yoko! John produced the session recording from 11 p.m. to 3.45 a.m. On April 24th, the Beatles' triumph case was settled out of court through cash payments and a realignment of royalty disbursements. On Saturday, April 26th, at EMI Studios, London, Studio 2...
Apart from an overdub of Paul's lead vocal onto Oh Darling, the first of several such recordings, this 4.30 p.m. to 4.15 a.m. session was spent perfecting the basic track for Ringo's new composition, Octopus's Garden. Working without a producer, the group taped 32 takes of the song's rhythm track, the last being marked best, ready for future overdubbing. Here is take two from that day. Wednesday, April 30th at EMI Studios No. 3, 
John and Paul, along with producer Chris Thomas, with engineers Jeff Jarrett and Nick Webb, work on the song Let It Be from the January 1969 Glenn Johns tapes. The remainder of the session was handled solely by John and Paul, and it saw the revival of a 22-month-old rhythm track recording for overdubbing of bizarre vocals and sound effects, supplied by Mal Evans, running a spade through a heap of gravel, then throwing it, John and Paul hand-clapping, coughing, and splurting. Much of this had been edited out later on. John and Paul weren't always getting on that well at this time, recalls engineer Nick Webb, but for this track, they went onto the studio floor and sang together around one microphone. Here's what they came up with that day. Oh, <laughs> 
On May the 3rd, the single Get Back reached number one in the UK. On May 5th, the newlywed John and Yoko buy a Georgian mansion in Ascot, complete with 72 acres and a 145,000 pound price tag. It is the house that the Beatles are pictured in front of on the Hey Jude album cover. Cynthia Lennon. In May, John and Yoko bought Tittenhurst Park, a 26-room mansion in Sunningdale, Ascot, for £150,000. I knew the house because John and I had been to look at it with the other Beatles couples a year or two earlier. The original idea that was put to me was that we'd buy, they would buy an estate and we would all live on it. There'd be a big dome in the middle, which would be Apple, and then before corridors leading to four large houses, one for John, Paul, George and Ringo, and around the estate would be other houses, sort of a gardener's domes, and we'd live in there. It was beautiful with extensive grounds, including its own market garden. For a crazy moment, we'd considered buying it and all moving in together in a kind of Beatles commune. How strange that now it was John and Yoko's home. Soon after they moved in, I received a call from Peter Brown, the Beatles' assistant. John would like to see Julian Sin. If it's okay with you, Anthony will call for him on Friday and take him to Tittenhurst for the weekend. It didn't feel very okay, but I agreed. John had been awarded reasonable access to Julian and I felt it important that Julian saw his father. When I told him about the visit, Julian was excited and a little scared. He'd just turned six and hadn't seen his dad in what, to a six-year-old, must have seemed a very long time. That Friday, Anthony arrived and came in for a cup of tea. It was good to see him. He'd been a real friend. He told me it was just as well that Julian hadn't gone to the Montague Square flat while John and Yoko were there. It was a complete tip, he said. They were doing heroin and other drugs and neither of them knew whether it was day or night. The floor was littered with rubbish. Couldn't have had a little one there. Perhaps that explained why John hadn't asked to see Julian sooner. He'd obviously been in no state to care for him, but I was alarmed. I'd had no idea that John had graduated to heroin. 
on Tuesday, May 6, 1969, at Olympic Sound Studios on Church Road in London, the Beatles recorded You Never Give Me Your Money. So far, any post-January songs recorded for The Shelf and destined eventually for the Abbey Road LP found themselves on side one of that album. There was a reason for this. Much of side two was to form a medley. It is difficult to pin a precise date on the conception of any idea, although the Abbey Road medley must have been born right around this time in 1969. For this day's session at Olympic, saw its first recording, a superb, upbeat ballad, You Never Give Me Your Money, the title and lyric directly inspired by the fast-developing business problems at Apple. After this session, the song lay dormant until reaching completion in July. The basic track was recorded on this day. Piano and guide vocal by Paul, drums by Ringo, distorted electric guitar by John, a chiming electric guitar put through a Leslie speaker by George. Yeah. 
with John on distorted guitar sparking a little double-time rock and roll jam at the end that was You Never Give Me Your Money, the band's final session before John and Yoko took off for Canada about three weeks later. On May the 8th, John, George and Ringo signed a business management contract with Alan Klein. Paul refused. Oh, yeah, well, we had great arguments with Paul. Yeah, well, the three of us felt, oh, the three of us have gone this way, you know. Why don't you? Here's Paul McCartney. Because then what happened was, Klein, I felt he really had to be got rid of, because I could see he wasn't doing us any good. I mean, I think it's been proved now, you know, this guy's been in jail for tax evasion, fraud, and selling, selling not-for-sale records. I mean, he peeled all the stickers off, you know, I mean, do you believe that? But, and he got $5 million off us the first year he managed us, and he wanted more, and they have, the other, so it was all very crazy, and I was trying to just fight for us. The group, so there was an awful lot of funniness going on there and stuff. And it was very tough just to keep your head above water, honest. I mean, one of these days, if the story ever gets told about some of that insanity, I mean, you've seen that apple to the core. That's nothing compared to what really went down. And there's incredible business stuff on the backs of menus and all sorts of deals were done. George Harrison. But it's more of a personal thing, you know, that's down to the management situation, you know, with Apple, because Paul really, it was his idea to do Apple and once it started going you know Paul was very active in there and then it got really chaotic and we had to do something about it when we started doing something about it obviously Paul didn't have as much say in the matter and then he decided you know because he wanted Lee Eastman you know his in-laws to run it and we didn't then that's the only reason, you know, that's the whole basis. But that's only a personal problem that he'll have to get over because that's the reality is that, you know, he's outvoted and, you know, we're a partnership. We've got these companies which we all own 25% of each. And if there's a decision to be made, then like in any other business or group, you have a vote, you know, and he's outvoted three to one. And if he doesn't like it, it's really a pity, you know, because... We're trying to do what's best for the Beatles as a group or best for Apple as a company. So there it was, and that then was a three-to-one situation. And in the Beatles, um, if anyone doesn't agree with the plan, it was always vetoed. So the three-to-one thing was very awkward. With John, George and Ringo lining up behind Klein, Paul was outvoted, so Klein took over. Disillusioned with the whole business musician scene, George did not report to work one day, opting for a day off from the whole Beatle business. We'd been through really hell with business, and, you know, it's very heavy. We had meetings and meetings and all this, you know, banks, bankers and, you know, lawyers and all sorts of things and contracts and shares, and it was really awful because it's not the sort of thing we enjoy. And one day... I didn't come into the office, I just sort of, it was like sagging off school. <laughs> and I went to a friend's house in the country and it was just sunny and it was all just the release of the tension that had been building up on me. And it was just really nice sunny day in Eric Clapton's garden. And I picked up the guitar, which was the first time I'd played the guitar for a couple of weeks because I'd been so busy. And the first thing that came out was...
On Friday, May 9th, at Olympic Sound Studios in London, more of the Glenn John's Get Back work commenced, with stereo mixing from 3 p.m. to 7 p.m., with all the Beatles in attendance. This was one of several sessions around this period to dissolve into a fractitious business meeting between the four Beatles with Alan Klein attending, too. Under considerable pressure to accept Klein's APCO company as Apple's business manager, an agreement signed the previous day by the other three, meaning in effect that Klein himself would become the Beatles' personal manager. Paul opposed the move. I remember being at Olympic Studio one evening. The three guys showed up. We all showed up at the studio ready to record, and Alan Klein showed up as part of the party with, with his sort of henchman. And uh, they said, you've got to sign a contract for Klein. He's got to take it to his board. I said, it's Friday night. No, he doesn't work on a Saturday. Anyway, Alan Klein's a law unto himself. He hasn't got a board he has to report to. You know, I said, don't worry. So we could easily do this on Monday. Let's do our session now. You're not going to push me into this. You know, they said, oh, you're stalling. You've got to sign now or never, kind of thing. I said, right, that's it. Well, I'm not signing now. It was a big argument. And they all went, leaving me at the studio. Paul relieved the tension by remaining behind at Olympic after the others had left and recording a song through the night with Steve Miller titled, not inappropriately, My Dark Hour. Paul contributed drums, bass, and backing vocals while Miller sang lead and played all the other instruments. Crediting Paul as Paul Ramon, the pseudonym he used on a Beatles tour with Johnny Gentle back in 1960, the recording was released as a U.S. single by the Steve Miller Band later in June.
On May 9th, the Zappel record label releases two records. The first is from John and Yoko and is called Unfinished Music No. 2, Life with the Lions. Side 1 was recorded live on March 2nd at Lady Mitchell Hall in Cambridge and featured John Shakai on saxophone and John Stevens on percussion. Side 2 was recorded in November of 1968, around the time of Yoko's miscarriage. The cover picture is taken in London's Queen Charlotte Hospital after the miscarriage. Yoko, you were in bed on the cover, I think I'm right in saying. Yes, uh, we had a miscarriage or something, did we? Well, you had a miscarriage yeah. and I was there. The oh, right, exactly. Yes, you'd had great problems, hadn't you, conceiving? I know, we had many miscarriages. We did? We? Yes, about three, maybe. Yeah, enough to make us miserable about mm-hmm. it, you know, think we could never have a child. The unfinished music number two album, or Life with the Lions, as it was called, had Yoko insisting there was no bed for Beetle John, referring to the couple's hospital stay after Yoko's miscarriage. Beetle John Lennon lost his hospital bed yesterday to a This second batch of unfinished music is as bizarre as the Two Virgins album, with more wailing and some curious cuts from a cassette recorder John brought along on his hospital visit. The back cover is a great picture of John, proud and defiant as a horde of police corralled John and Yoko into Marleybourne Court. The other Zappel album was the second solo album by George called Electronic Sounds. Strange, spacey stuff. The first side was done at his Escher home in February 69, and the second side in California in November 68, helped out by American electronic music composer Bernie Krause. Something happened between them, so his name was quickly covered over in silver paint just before the release. Both sides are excursions into the world of electronic music, which the general public was not used to, so it left a lot of people scratching their heads. It was all done on his newly acquired Moog synthesizer, which was put to much better use on the Abbey Road album. These two records weren't the ones to set the world on its ear, but the label had been formed with good intentions. It was to be a label devoted to artistic endeavors and experimental sounds. Live performances of Lenny Bruce were scheduled for release, as well as a spoken word recording of Ken Kesey. And Richard Brodigan readings. The Zappel concept got zapped fairly quickly, and record buyers turned off George's electronic sounds. On May 16th, John was refused a visa by the U.S. Embassy in London due to his 1968 U.S. drug conviction. On the same day, Ringo and his family left England aboard the Queen Elizabeth II with the cast of the film The Magic Christian. On May 19th, the Beatles received the Ivor Novello Award for Hey Jude, Britain's top-selling single in 1968. On the same day, in the U.S., Apple releases an album by Jackie Lomax titled Is This What You Want? The LP is produced in fractions by George Harrison and Paul McCartney. It also features George, Paul, and Ringo on the LP. On May 20th, 
public announcement was made that Alan Klein had become the Beatles' manager. How much interest and how much control do you have over Apple now that you have a new manager in Mr. Klein? Paul McCartney. Uh, we are you like the a four of us man? have. A, no, I don't like doing the business no, bit that much, but uh, you can't avoid it. See, the thing is, like, we were once a band, just a band, but then because we were successful. You can't help it being successful. You know, money comes in. You, know, you can't help that again. When money comes in, income tax has to be paid. So you can't really help just turning into a businessman because someone says to you, you know, well, where's your income tax, mate? You say, well, uh, I better get on to someone. You know, I, I hope I've got a bit to pay you and stuff. So you've got to get all that together. You know, so it's just for it's just force of circumstance. You know, you can't help it. George Harrison. We just spend money when we wanted to spend money, but we didn't know where we were spending it from or if we paid taxes on it. You know, we were really in bad shape as far as that was concerned because none of us really could be bothered. We just felt as though we were rich because really we were rich by what we sold and what we did. But uh, it wasn't really the case, you know, because it, it was so untogether, the business side of it. Klein then moved into the Apple offices on Savile Row where he ruthlessly cleaned house firing executives and hangers-on in mass. Both the productive and those whom John Lennon called spongers and hustlers, presumably including Magic Alex, were dismissed. Klein was able to stop the drain of money from Apple, and his main concern now was to obtain higher record royalties for the Beatles. What changed at Apple after he arrived? Everything. It was a completely different situation, you know. Number one, right, first and foremost, Paul wasn't there. On May 24th, the single Get Back reached number one in the U.S. On May 25th, John and Yoko fly to Toronto, Canada to prepare for their second and final bed-in for peace scheduled to be held in the city of Montreal. Unable as they hoped to host the event in New York because the U.S. authorities withheld the granting of John's visa citing his November 1968 drug conviction, the Lennons chose Canada because of its close proximity to the United States border which meant that their peace message could be easily relayed back across the border to the desired audience. Yoko Ono. If we said anything in Canada, we knew that it would just go right away to the United States. And also they were very kind of liberal people. We just knew that Canada would accept us. And... Can you get us into Toronto? Beautiful place. Yeah. Yeah, well, one of the them, the Beatles and... Elizabeth Taylor and Burton usually stay. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye. What is it? The direct flight from Freeport to Toronto at 5 o'clock today, Air Canada Jet. Hey. Good old Air Canada. After two hours of negotiation, Canada did let them in. They set up camp in the best hotel the city had to offer. The King Edward Hotel in Toronto. By morning, pandemonium. Security was no match for Jerry Levitan, now a lawyer, then just a 14-year-old fan. I went to the King Edward Hotel at about 7 in the morning, skipped school, and uh, knocked on every door starting from the top floor. Woke up a lot of people, um, and then at one point uh, a cleaning lady said... Uh, are you looking for the Beatle? And I said, yes, I am. She said, he's in room whatever. Don't tell anybody I told you. Went down to whatever floor it was, uh, walked down a corridor. It was uh, 
a suite at the end of the hall, and I saw Kyoko, uh, Yoko's daughter from her first marriage, who I recognized instantly, sitting on the floor in front of a closed door, drawing uh, um, in a coloring book. And my heart stopped because I, I knew I found him. I had uh, uh, stolen my brother's Super 8 camera without telling him, didn't even know there was film in it, um, and started um, taking film. And uh, I would go right up to Lennon's face and like zoom in and out. I thought, I gotta do something more than just this. And I said, John, can I come later and, and, and do an interview with you about peace and the Beatles and stuff and uh, take it to my school? And he says, yeah, that's great. Uh, Yoko, Yoko, Derek. And he calls them both in. He says, this lad will come back later and he'll do a, an interview about peace and stuff and he'll take it to school. That's what we want to do. Walked in and there was a long row of reporters sitting um, uh, in front of each other down the hall in front of this closed door. And they were, um, there was American press, there were, you name it, they were all there. And because it was the first time Lenin was on North American soil in a year and a half or two years or so, um, I wanted to go right to the door because it was about six. And um, I remember one reporter grabbing me saying, uh, where are you going? And I said, I have an interview at six. And he says, yeah, yeah, you and the rest of us. The door opened up, it was Derek Taylor. And he said, where's the kid? Levitan's feelings for another pop star, Pierre Trudeau, would affect Lennon's travel plans twice over the next eight months. When I asked him about how his peace campaign was going, whether uh, he's making any, any effort to meet uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, and uh, he said, well, he heard that he was cool, and he said, uh, you know, we saw him, you know, swinging in London with his leather coat on and dancing behind the Queen or whatever. Um, and, um, and I said to him in my 14-year-old uh, way, oh, you know, like, he's really, really cool, and you really should meet him, and he, he's really good. And he says, well, you know, if kids like you think he's cool, then maybe we should meet him. The media was already speculating on just how far John and Yoko would go to meet Trudeau. And I'd like to know when and where I said... Uh, that I invited Mr. Trudeau into bed with us, and, and when and where there. Yoko said she thought that was a good idea. Complete yeah. pack of lies. Among the parade of media was broadcaster Mark Starovich, reporting then for the Toronto Star. Camera crews would come in and out. Can we get this shot here? Can we get you two together? That and another one. It's still in my memory an unprecedented journalistic event. I can't think of the precedents in journalistic history before it, or I can't think of one since. To publicize the event, John taped a pre-bed-in recording of a new song at the King Edward Hotel in Toronto before traveling to Montreal the next day. If it's a chance. a chance as performed by Mr. and Mrs. Lennon to end an interview at the King Edward Hotel in Toronto, where they spend Sunday night, May 25th, 1969, their first in Canada. 
The next morning, John, Yoko, her daughter Kyoko, Apple Press Chief Derek Taylor and a four-person film crew all drove back to the Toronto airport. From there, the entourage flew the 350 or so mile distance to Montreal. On May 26, John and Yoko had begun their second bed-in at the Queen Elizabeth Hotel in Montreal. It was another week-long bed-in, this time in room 1742 of the Queen Elizabeth Hotel. John and Yoko kept in touch with the Montreal community and the world via the airwaves and the telephone. It was a media circus with a purpose. We're here uh, as a protest against violence. This time, it seemed like the entire world came to call. Thank you very much for coming. <laughs> okay, then. Of course we do. They know that. We'll come on out now. No messing about. Yes, you too, and you too. It doesn't matter who you are with. People... Some of that media never left. Montreal DJ Chuck Chandler. 712 with Charles P. Roddy Chandler as the Beatle beat goes on for the John and Yoko Lion. Right here on the 17th floor, Charles P. Roddy Chandler's getting things together with the Beatles baby and the Battle of John and Yoko. We thought it would be a fabulous idea if uh, we could do some kind of a remote because we were the only rock and roll radio station in Montreal at the time. And after a couple of phone calls to the management of Seafox, who had no problem at all, saying, well, why don't you just do your radio show from the bedside of John and Yoko? And, and uh, within uh, a few hours, that was all set up, and I was on the air, and uh, it was the rest is history. Among those lending their hands were guys like Dave Patrick of station CJAD and Charles P. Rodney Chandler and our special guest Roger Scott, then DJs on CFOX and broadcasting live from bedside. Can I talk to you? Yeah, sure. Okay. Okay, Rod. Oh, hi, hi. 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 We're with you. Hi. How are you? I'll be with you in a sec. We're just going to talk to the box. At one point during the week, Scott recalls... There was a, a march. There's a mountain. Well, they call it a mountain. It's called Mount Royal. It's not much of a mountain. It's more of a big hill in the middle of Montreal. And there was a, a big sort of peace march sitting up on the mountain and John and Yoko were talking to the crowd up there via the radio. In fact, it would appear that Seafox had more than a little to do with drumming up the Mount Royal March for Peace. Check out Seafox cheerleader Chucky Chandler. Oh, everybody's in smiling spirits today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, uh, why we want to talk to you right now is because this afternoon, because it's going to be a very nice day, we're going to try to get um, everybody up on Fletcher's Field on Mount Royal to have, uh, you know, peace in. Great, beautiful, beautiful. So why don't, uh, why don't you just say to everybody, Montrealers, unite. Go up there. Uh, Montrealers, unite. Get up on the hill and peace it. <laughs> and also, you come know, now. Roger says the listeners were just as into the idea of a mass peace rally as John had been. They were inspired to do it because John and Yoko were in Montreal in the bed saying what they were saying every day on the radio. So these people decided to march up Mount Royal in the middle of the city in support of John and Yoka. CFOX was also involved with promoting a concert at the Montreal Forum during the week, and Scott wound up pulling MC duty. We tried to persuade John and Yoko to get out of bed just for that evening and come down to the Forum and say hello to everybody from the stage and then go back to bed. And they thought they couldn't really do that because the whole idea was that they were going to stay in bed and that was it and nothing was going to get them out. But I remember being on the, the stage to introduce this band and John had said, well, we can't come down there, but just pass on 
this message that our thoughts are with you and peace, love and all the rest of it. And for the first time I've seen this, and I've seen it a million times since, it was the first time I've actually seen the matches and the lighters being lit. And when you see something like that, I think the Montreal Forum holds about 10,000, 15,000 people. And most of them had something lit, and it was a very moving sight. So what's happening? Seems to be a lack of uh, coordination in this room. <laughs> it was DJ Tom Campbell's turn to ask Lennon a few questions. Hello, John. Hi, Tom Campbell. Listen, we have some questions that some of our listeners have asked us to ask you. If you would appreciate it, okay? Pleasure. Okay, one question. Uh, you cut this record, The Ballad of John and Yoko. What message are you trying to portray in this song? I'm not portraying any message. I'm telling a story, like newspaper, you know. I'm telling a story about John and Yoko, and therefore about everyone, because we're all one. I am here, you are here, you are me, and we are all together. All together. Okay, fine. This comes from uh, Joan Kuvik, who wants to know, are you and Yoko doing a film together? Yeah, we've made about seven films so far, and... Uh, We've got them in a brown paper bag at the moment. We're trying to get distribution. <laughs> okay. I mean, what about the future? Anything in the near future for another film? Well, Yoko and I are filming all the time, you know. We're making a film of this event, and you'll be, it'll be an amazing film, and you see the, the goings-on in the bedroom. Oh, really? we got radio. Not that kind of thing, no. Lay off the... Okay. Uh, we got radio station in here. we got people sh chanting Hare Krishna. we got visitors coming in, one after the other, in all strange outfits. It's well, really fantastic. You'll dig it. Hey, great. Will this show in the U.S., do you think? Well, I mean, we just got to get distribution for it. We maybe make an hour TV show, you know, sort of showing the bed in, the whole thing. And But uh, let me say, I mean, with the Beatles, you shouldn't have any difficulty getting distribution. Oh, you, you're kidding. I, I couldn't even get two virgins out on Apple. Well, you know, maybe things are changing for the better. Yeah, I hope so. I believe it. They're getting better all the time. Sometimes things got a little dull. I just I'm really worried about me tea. Did I cup of tea? So, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation invited some other celebrities into the room. We went down with the film crew and we brought along Al Cap. I'm sure you I, uh,. One of the things that, that uh, interested me was that you said that you were very shy people in the globe. And, uh, and yet, these are... Does that prove you're not shy? Certainly not. Only the shyest to... people in the world would take pictures like well, this. Well, the shy really... people, uh, are they nah. do they ever become naked or not? You well, think I, that people I, that are shy have to wrap Am I quarreling with your description of yourselves as... If that isn't a picture of two shy people, I'd like to know what shyness is. Oh, what filth. Do you think that's filth? Certainly not. I'm denouncing people who think it is. Thank you. I think that everybody owes it to the world to prove they have pubic hair. And you've done it. You've done it, and I tell you that I applaud you for it. I mean, you can prove it you can prove it. I don't feel that there's any great interest in it. Clearly, you must have felt the world wanted to know what your private parts look like, and now the world knows. And I tell you, that's one of the greatest contributions to enlightenment and culture of our time. I'm and I want to notice. I want to thank <laughs> I want to tell you it's hard not to notice. Now that you have a song. 
and one of the lines, and correct me if it's in Christ, it ain't easy. Everywhere I go, they're going to crucify me. Rubbish. I didn't say The lyrics go, Christ, you know it ain't easy. You know how hard it can be. The way things are going, they're going to crucify me and you, baby. Well, this isn't my this isn't my song, but but uh, these don't express we are all my. We're together in this world. Let's face it. You and I are married together in this world. You see, it's like being stuck. Now in that a is a very unkind thought to plant in my mind. Well, I want to tell you that this tomorrow, may stay with okay? me and wait. I wake up screaming. This is not true. You say that to him, not to me. That's your paranoia. Everybody's married. This no, world. it's just you know, a matter of taste. It's a matter of taste. So what do you want to know? But in the in the then in the lyric you said they were going to crucify. Yeah, if you take it literally. Well, how did you mean it? Uh, I, I know. Uh, it means everything you want it to mean. What did you want it to mean? Uh, they're Literally. going to crucify me and you and everyone else. But you said they're going to crucify oh, me. Oh, well, you're going to take everything me literally. Is you me and, and you I say well, that we're I, all I don't permit you to speak for me. Oh, well, well, I, I took for? that liberty, Mr. Camp. Well, it's too much of a liberty. Well, speaking on behalf of the uh, people in general, you know, in a poetic sense. You're speaking for yourself. I, As a representative John, of the human race, I'm speaking for us well, all, whether you like it or not. Whatever race you're the representative of, <laughs> I ain't part of it. Well, uh, maybe yours is the human race and mine is something. Less pursuit, but whatever race, it's your race. No, you belong to a race on your own. Everybody in this room. No, you don't represent me though, and you don't write songs for me. Yes, I want to make do. that clear Especially to all of Canada. Too. Especially for you. My, uh, I'll let Kate Smith sing my songs. Uh, who do you write your cartoons <laughs> for? I write my cartoons for money, just as you sing your songs. Exactly the same money. reason. Yeah, and I'm exactly the same reason much of this is happening too, if the truth be told. Do you think I couldn't earn money by some other way, by sitting in bed for seven days taking shit from people like you? I could, I could write a song in an hour and earn more money. Now look here, now don't say this. You got into bed so people like me yeah, would come right. and see you. Not for money. That's what, what you're saying. Uh, it, it, it won't do you any real harm. Uh, uh, you may get but some I can earn money but I tell you what will do you harm. Doing this. I tell you what would do you harm. So could I. I could make a lot more drawing people like you <laughs> than confronting you. And I must say, it's much more right, appetizing okay. drawing them because I can leave. I you. prefer singing to doing this, but, but I'm doing this. For what you've reason. just done is when you said taking shit from people like you. Now I was invited here. You knew I was coming. Yeah, sure. That's right. But so we're not doing it for you money. Have, you, you indicated I was doing it for money. Oh, you I have manners? Why, oh, I'm your guest. And really, and even, uh, no, you're not. This is your bedroom. Mr. Cap, may I say one thing? I'm, I, I'd be, I'd be delighted with any conversation. Okay. I'll, I'll, you know, I'd like to add to what you said about your buyers. Uh, <laughs> it's good to just... Uh, nice guy. I, I can see why you want peace. God knows you can't have much. I'm delighted to have met you, Madam New. You are our answer to Madam New. It was a great meeting for us. But I'm sure, the other, I'm sure the other three guys, the other three fellas, are Englishmen. What does that mean? <laughs> you think about it. Get out. I'll try and work it out now, Derek. Oh, really? Come on. But I'm not having these people in shock. Leave, leave it, though. We asked him here. We asked him here. He's right. Forgive me. For Derek, it's not me to forgive you, it's for your psychiatrist. Christ, you know it ain't easy. You know how hard it can be. The way things are going, they're gonna crucify Cap.
and we brought along Tommy Smothers and Dick Gregory and some other friends to meet the Lennons. I'm Patrick Watson. This is The Way It Is, Edition 68. Also in the mix, Toronto Rabbi Abraham Feinberg. He had two good reasons to be there. First, he was already a famous pacifist. Second, he too had been a pop singer. He attached himself to the campaign. John and Yoko are introducing the flaming red rabbi. The love that the two of them have for each other extends itself to the all humanity. It really does. I've already heard from leaders of the movement in the United States and Canada how happy they are that John and Yoko have undertaken to be the spearhead. They don't like to be referred to as leaders, but they are leaders because of what they are. And there's no couple in the world behind whom the young people will organize themselves more enthusiastically than behind John and Yoko, not only because of their fame and their acclaim and their prestige and their influence, but because of their personal qualities of character. Lennon liked the rabbi singing and asked him to help record a song he had been rehearsing all week. Sometimes it could have been mistaken for normal life. I just woke up just now. Yes, yes, you did, didn't you? Say something for peace, Kyoko, please. I don't know anything for peace yet. You're still asleep, are you? Yeah, it's a lot like after answering all these questions many 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 times it got down to all we were saying was give peace a chance not we have any formula or communism or socialism will answer it or any ism could answer it we didn't have a format we couldn't give you a plan but just sit but just consider the idea of not having this war just consider it so that's what in a nutshell we were saying Or to contact the show, visit yesterdayandtodaypodcast.wordpress.com or email at yesterdayandtodaypodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at yesterdaypod on Twitter and search Yesterday and Today Podcast on Facebook. See you next time. I'm Paul Kaminsky. And I'm James Kaminsky. And we are the co-hosts of the Third Men Podcast. We are a Jack White history podcast where we go over the White Stripes, Third Man Records, the list goes on. And occasionally, we do a funny voice or two. So you're going to probably want to get used to that. Or turn it off. Whatever your preference. Or whatever turns you on. (laughs) Hey now, you're an all-star, because occasionally... 
we'll do an all-star podcast. We did do an entire Smash Mouth episode once. That is true. <laughs> we are every other week on Wednesdays, and we are available on iTunes and really wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, so why don't you come on and find yourself a little home here with us? We promise we'll be weird roommates. If I want to do the dishes without my pants on, that's my deal. That was weird. See? We weren't even <laughs> lying.